Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we'd like to get a planting and crop progress update from you. So if you'd like to call in at any point during our show, our phone lines will be open. The number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. When we're talking about just overall crop progress, it is, in our opinion, more important to scout early in the season than later in the season. Now, scouting is always important, and we'd always encourage you to be out in your fields. But when it comes to evaluation of your planter, evaluation of your stand, just checking for weeds, for insects, diseases, fertility, I mean everything, if you can get that crop off to a great start, then usually you you have a much, much better chance for high yields. So I was just talking to an agronomist a few minutes ago about a whole bunch of weeds he was finding in a field of ours. And I said, yeah, that's our that's our newest field that we're farming. We've only had it for one season. And so it does take a little while to uh, lower that weed seed bank. Well, I mean, we'd already planned to spray it earlier than just about anything else. And we will be hitting it this week. And everything is real small. So there's no problem. But the point is... If we wouldn't have been paying attention to this and hadn't really thought about it, we might spray it at V4 or V5, corn I'm talking here. Um, That'd be too late for that particular field. There are too many weeds there and yield will already be devastated if we wait as long as we would wait to spray, let's call it a normal field of ours. So you got to be paying attention all the time to what's really going on out there. Anyway, beyond that, I guess I'd just say with spraying coming up, be careful about the wind, be careful which direction it is going, and do your best to keep your spray in your fields because uh, when you have stuff go to other people's fields, it obviously causes not only some economic damage, but also a lot of hard feelings out there. So, And I know it's tough to spray. We, we are in a what's considered a relatively windy area of the United States. Wind's blowing here every day, so we have to hit it a lot of times in the mornings and the evenings. Well, when it comes to like dicamba, unfortunately we're not spraying any dicamba on our farm this year, but when it comes to spraying dicamba or old 24D, you have to be really concerned because of the um, because of the inversions in the early morning and the late evening hours. And while that may be good to spray for a lot of other products, not so good for dicamba. We definitely don't want inversions because of the volatility. And what volatility is, is where you land the product on a target, but then it vaporizes, and so those vapors go up in the air. Well, with a temperature inversion, they can't go way up in the air, like 10,000 feet in the air, and cause no harm. What happens is, with the temperature change, uh, it, with this inversion, it only allows the product to go up maybe 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet. That's about it. And then it goes sideways. That's where we see the problems. All right, uh, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, we talk about drainage often and managing water table levels, and we get a question, what is a water table? What are you guys talking about with water tables? Yep, so that's where, okay, so first of all, let me let me explain this by saying, if you went to 
college or tech school or, for that matter, maybe even in high school if you took an ag class, one of the first things that they probably taught you about soil was that ideal soil composition is roughly 50% dirt. Now, part of that's organic matter and other things, but just play along with me in a very, very simple, simplified way here. 50% dirt, 25% air, and 25% water. Where the water table is, is where there is no air. It's basically 50% dirt and 50% water. So it just depends on the year and where you're at exactly. But a lot of times, like on our river bottom ground, our water table will be at three feet all the time. So if you dig down three feet, uh, if you go down below four feet, let's say you dig a five-foot hole, you come back the next morning and you're going to find that water level, there's a going to be a pond in your hole and that water level will be roughly three feet down in the ground. So that's what we would consider the water table. I'll tell you one quick story too for all these people around here. I mean in our region it's very dry and every farmer I talk to says oh I'm worried about rain and everything else and I go you know what I want to tell you a quick story about 2014. I said we were coming off 2012 which was one of the hottest years you've ever had and pretty dry and then 2013 was a little bit cooler but it was drier yet. It's one of the driest years we've ever had on record in 2013. So June 1, 2014, I'm looking at our our water table level, and it's at the lowest point in over 30 years. The U.S. Geological Survey has a monitoring well in one of our fields that we now own, and so we can go back, way back in history, to find out how deep the water table was. Well, June 1, 2014, so yeah, about seven years ago today, roughly. I mean, a little past this, but June 1. And I look and I go, oh no, we're at the lowest water table point in 30 years. And we just came off two dry years. What in the heck's going to happen now? And I was really worried we wouldn't have rain. Well, guess what? In the next 20 days, we had 20 inches of rain. That's as much as we normally get in an entire year. And keep in mind, we're cool here. We have heavy soils. We don't have to have lots of rainfall to get good yields. But we got 20 inches of rain in 20 weeks and we went from way too dry to all of a sudden way too wet. It can happen that fast. Okay. I got a question. This one is from May who says in Mulder's chart, manganese connects with copper, iron, and calcium and has interactions with those. Do you see an issue when you increase phosphorus levels with manganese? Have you seen any correlation in your soil tests and yield results? No, um, I, I'll, I'll just say this. We've been running a lot of DTPA tests on manganese, and I, I just don't see a lot of correlation to manganese applications or anything else with the manganese tests. So we're going to be doing a lot more Malik 3 tests, and I can maybe give it a little bit better answer. But um, we, we don't see this, even with the Malik 3 stuff, we don't see this big drop in... in uh, uh, manganese when you put on a bunch of phosphorus or see it in the plant tissue. But we'll talk more about that right after this. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. 
But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5-8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today getting a planting and crop progress update from around the United States and Canada. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Right before the break, we were talking just a little about manganese. And one thing I wanted to mention is we have seen where if soil pH goes down, there's better manganese availability, which only makes sense because with many of the micronutrients, that absolutely is the case. Now, one of the only exceptions to that is molybdenum. If soil pH goes up, then we usually see better availability there. So here's my point. This is one of the reasons why, number one, you want to regulate pH. But number two, if you don't want to or you can't regulate pH, then you have to think about, all right, let's just say, for example, my soil pH is 7.8, and I don't care. I'm not going to change it. I'm not worried about it long term. Maybe it'll straighten out, but in the short term, it's a problem. Well, with every micronutrient, you've got to address it a little more than a guy who's got, let's say, a 6.3 pH in his soil because all his micronutrients, other than molybdenum, will be more available. So anyway, we talk about those types of things in our soils clinics and from time to time here on the show as well. All right, let's get back to the phone lines here. We've got Quinn with us right now in northern Iowa. Quinn, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys today? Good, good. Have you guys been catching this rain now lately? We we did here in north central Kasuth County here in Iowa. We actually did get a little bit, but not as much as we'd like as far as right around where we live here. Um, you know, it's kind of a steady, good, steady mist, but we'd sure accept some more if we could get it. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I know it's been interesting talking to farmers. Oh, man, those guys got it over there. Well, how much did they really get? <laughs> a lot of times it hasn't amounted yeah. to much this year. Yeah, well, we we were so dry to start, you know, that it, it, it seems like what we do get doesn't go a long way. No, that's for sure. But but you did get all the crop in, I'm assuming, in your area by now? Yes, uh, primarily everything is in, and I think most guys have everything sprayed for the most part, and, and you know, the beans got rolled, and, and I think every, everything got in fairly timely. I know guys were 
getting nervous, you know, the cool temperatures kind of held us back a little longer than what some guys like. But, um, as we know, <laughs> this day and age, we can, we can plant pretty quick. That's for sure. Hey, talk to us about the bean rolling in your area. Why, why do you guys like that there? Have they, have they seen something different? Do you have rocks? Uh, what, what's going on? What what uh, I, I guess I can't speak for everyone, but what what I like to do, I, I have a good friend of mine that does it customly for me. But um, why why I do it is it's like you said, the rocks, the ease of mind. You know, when you're combining, you're not worried about you know uh, running a running a rock through the sickle sections. You know, and and uh, not only that, but I find that I can get them them pods that are lower on the soybean plant itself and. Most times I do see a little yield boost in that. Yeah, it's been interesting. I know the guys in the Rocky areas say, "Oh man, it just it just really saves us." But it it really it's it's crazy how the size rocks that them that them uh, rollers can push down. Um, but it does kind of build some bad habits. We, we don't pick rocks up as good as we should be. <laughs> well, I don't know. I can think of a lot of farm kids out there that would love to have a roller on their farm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know it. <laughs> no, it's been an interesting year for sure. Well, glad glad to see the crops up. If guys are already spraying, that's that's a good sign. You had a little bit of moisture anyway, at least enough to get things started. So hopefully that continues. Yep. Yeah, we we uh, we were pretty fortunate on the acres we have. We got everything kind of uh, boom, boom, boom. You know, we got everything planted, and then we got them got them rolled right away, and then they came back, and we had it had it sprayed. So it, it got done pretty fast for us, so awesome. and which is good for us. We're most years when I, I've talked to you guys before about our sludge hollowing operation, and so that kind of prioritizes our time in the spring. So when we can have a really, really streamlined uh, planting season, that works out great. Yeah, there are just so many things that have to get done all at the same time. You're right. If, if well, something can move it, along quickly, that's good. Well, and and it, it was crazy here in our particular areas. It was so dry, like we were saying, that everything was fit. Everything was ready to, you know, field work was ready to be done, but we didn't have the temperatures, and the soil temperature was cold, and just the, the outright temperature was cold. But for us, we were able to, uh, we actually hauled uh, I, uh, quite, a few, quite a bit more gallons of sludge this spring than what we primarily do. So that, that did work out for us in particular. Sure. Yeah, we've, we've been through a couple tough years for getting stuff done. So when we do get a year like oh. this or we can get out there, that's, that's a good feeling. Yes, that, that was for sure. I know uh, 18 and 19 weren't very cooperative for us as far as uh, it was so everything was so wet that we didn't get hardly anything done. And and, and so it was good to get, get some extra work done in the spring. Absolutely. Well, Quinn, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you. Good luck here the rest of the spring. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Look, look forward to talking to you guys again soon. You bet. Thanks. Let's head out to Pennsylvania. Got Dave with us right now. Dave, how's it going? Good, good. Um we're doing doing fine. We're uh, moving right along with our uh, just about finished with corn planting. I think we're like everybody else. It's feast or famine. You get uh, you get uh, two or three weeks of rain, and then you get two or three weeks of no rain. Um, we had a really wet start to May, and uh, the last two weeks have been bone dry and hot and windy. So uh, the surface is getting dry, and we're planting in dust. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange how this has gone. So I know you've got some heavier soils in your part of Pennsylvania. What 
with the heavy ground, how has that gone? Has planting been good? Would you say it's good conditions that you're planting into? Um, yeah, generally good. Um, we, uh, we, we plowed down red clover for our corn crop. We're organic, and uh, we usually like to wait to have that grow as much as possible. Um, we plow it down, and uh, it seemed like, boy, it dried out so fast on the surface. If we didn't work it up and fit it, um, it was getting that dry and dusty. But overall, I think the ground worked up pretty good. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I know in the past uh, you talked about doing a little bit of tiling. Did you do any tiling this spring or last fall? Um, we did some last fall. We uh, we took a field that was uh, had really been out of production for about a year. It was just too wet. It was about 10 acres, and we got that fully pattern tiled, and it's a whole different field this year. So that's worked out real well. Yeah, it's been really fun here, too. I know we were just talking about equipment needs on our farm, and and Brian said, man, that has made such a difference for us, knowing that we weren't going to have wet feet and, and slick, muddy spots out in the fields. we got enough rolling ground here, too. And I, I'd assume you get some decent roll, too, to some of your fields, don't you? Oh, yeah, we got decent roll as much as you would like to. Uh... <laughs> Just a nice way to say it, right? Yeah. One thing that's been nice with the last few weeks of dry is the wheat crop is looking wonderful. And I have never had a better harvest of rocks this spring with the rock picker we just got. Well, that's that's a positive. Uh, now, what happens with rock in your area? I know some folks that live relatively close to urban areas find homes with landscapers and whatnot. Is, is this rock that a guy could sell or just rock that you need to get out of the field and pile up somewhere? Well, we pile it up somewhere, but it seems like we've always got a, a low spot to fill or we've got a, a crossing or culvert to deal with. So we generally made pretty good use of the, the stone we get. And there's enough quarries around that you really can't sell it for crushed stone. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I know uh, there's a friend of mine and his dad had pulled a couple of pretty good sized rocks out and he was half an hour out of a decent sized town and they get some pretty good money for that. So I, I was just curious. I, you never know where you're at and what the opportunity is. Well, you know, my sister used to live in Illinois and I was always tempted to take a, about a two ton rock out to her for landscaping. She thought that would be great. Um. We, I would say we can harvest 10 ton to the acre of rocks here. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, that's not that's not a good place to grow up, Dave. I know who gets to harvest a lot of those rocks sometimes. It's generally the younger guys out on the farm. Yeah, well, you guys don't get to have any, so we'll bring some out. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. That's okay. That sounds like a good time for me to let you go here, Dave. Thanks. It's been really nice talking to you, though, and hopefully you guys catch some rain again when you need her here. Okay, thanks a lot. You bet. Yeah, I don't want any more rocks on the farm. That's that's not a real good thing here, but we'd love to hear how things are going in your area and on your farm, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit.
When it comes to trusted herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. And you certainly know New Farm exclusive Weedmaster. For decades, Weedmaster has been the go-to herbicide for consistent burndown weed control in a huge variety of crops, and in range and pasture management too. Don't let yield-robbing weeds stand in the way of your progress or profits. New Farm and Weedmaster Herbicide, here to help. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucinto fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or if you just want to update us on how planting's going, what the crop progress is like in your area, we would love to hear from you today. Let's head over to Wisconsin. we got Mark with us right now with a few questions for us. Mark, how are you doing? Very good. Uh, getting to your question on how the crop season's going, boy, it's just been perfect so far. Um, it was drier than a popcorn fart. I was really worried, and the night I finished up planting, we got an inch and a half of rain. Wow, that's perfect timing. Yeah, Brian likes that too. He likes dry, and then, all right, we got everything done. Now bring the rain. And when it works out like that, that's pretty good. Well, yeah, but I usually like it. Once the crop emerges, then I don't have to worry about crusting, but we we can't uh, oh, choose exactly yeah, when the rain's going to come. Brian's yep. a little picky, Mark. <laughs> oh, well, get your order in at that so God doesn't get confused. <laughs> right. So what can we help you with today, Mark? Well, um, we have a couple pastures, mm -hmm. and the FSA has said 
these are wetlands, you can't tile them. Okay. So we say, oh, shucks, we'll leave it pasture. Okay. And then we've gotten more and more intensive with pasture management, spraying yep. it, liming it, yep. fertilizing it. Yep. Historically, I've always liked elemental sulfur because I heard it stays there better. We have a fairly wet climate, and mm -hmm. then you sometimes spread it into standing water. And yep. I was watching your show, and I think it said something <laughs> about the bacteria and fungi can't or don't live underwater for one reason or another. Yeah. I imagine why. Yeah, so yeah. the so the bacteria that will break that down, they normally will, if they're allowed to live, will turn it to hydrogen sulfate, which is basically sulfuric acid, and then that will lower soil pH a little bit, and everything ends up being fine. There's no problem. Our concern is when you put elemental sulfur on ground that doesn't have good drainage because there's no air there, if there's no air there in the soil, then the bacteria can't live, and then they can't do their job converting it to hydrogen sulfate. So instead, it yep. gets turned to hydrogen sulfide, and your soil will smell like rotten eggs. So in a in a dry year, we don't have any big issue with you spreading elemental sulfur out there. But if it's a wet year, we'd rather have you just spread sulfate. Uh, so that'd be like ammonium sulfate or, you know, any anything in the sulfate form. Okay. Yep. So sometimes they'll literally be standing water uh, yep. out there. And then, I mean, does, and this kind of goes for the nitrogen too. <laughs> uh, Are you going to lose I'm it? I'm happy to spend... Yep. Yeah, yep. I mean, if you just spread it on standing water, it would seem like it would get diluted out almost instantly, and yep. then what doesn't get diluted out would wash off with the next rain. You know, you, they show your tile with the nutrients soaking down, going yep. to the crops, and yep. when it's not tiled, it runs it. So, I mean, if there's, I don't know what to do here. I, I'm with you. If there is standing water there, though, it would be irresponsible of us to tell you to just throw fertilizer out there and throw a different form out and think that that's going to do the trick. If there's standing water, okay. there, there's a major problem. And so our advice would be just wait until that dries up and then go spread fertilizer there. And so this is one of the things that we often say about tiling and why we like it so much. It's not just the dollars and cents and the better yield and everything, or better pasture grass, whatever, the point is it saves a lot of time. Because what I'm now yeah. advising you to do is make two trips, or maybe even three. And we used to do that all the time in a whole bunch of our fields. I didn't enjoy that so much, especially when we hire help, and I got to have them run back out there and do all this stuff. You know what I mean? So, But, th I mean, that yeah. really would be the right way to go, is just wait until that area dries up at least a little bit. If you've got standing water, though, I wouldn't ever tell you to put any fertilizer out there. Okay. Well, I mean, sometimes you fertilize it in... And then it rains afterwards, and then you have standing water again. I, I mean, I, yeah, you can't, how does all this work? You can't control that. And we have to hope that, okay, if there wasn't standing water before, that now the rainfall comes and the first rain takes it down into the soil. 
Now, is it possible that you're going to lose some of your nitrogen to uh, denitrification? Absolutely. Is it possible that there's going to be some runoff? Absolutely. But we have to just have to try for the best. And this is one of the problems that I've got when the NRCS wants to declare cropland, and I view pasture as crop, okay? But if they want to declare cropland a wetland and we can't put tile there, and they think they're doing some good, that's not doing anybody any good. Because now all we're doing is we're applying fertilizer when there's at least a better than average chance that we're going to lose some of that fertilizer. And we don't want that. And they don't want that. So it's, I, I and I, I guess, I well, I don't know. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so I'm, I would be frustrated. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, it's not like the whole thing is water, but you know how sure. it, and kind of those borderline areas, oh, yeah. this spot is, this yep. spot isn't. Mm, yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, we farm a lot of ground, and we own uh, several pastures, too. And so I, I've been all through that with NRCS and everything, so I know exactly what you're dealing with. Okay. So you'd recommend AMS and then well, stabilizer? I, or? Okay, so if there's a chance that there's going to be too much water or we have a high water table to begin with, then yes, I'm going to recommend, number one, you treat your nitrogen. Uh, number two, yeah. you use sulfur in the sulfate form rather than the elemental sulfur okay. form. And anytime you have ammonium rather than uh, a nitrate-based fertilizer, then the ammonium is already, let's call it, safened or uh, stabilized because it's going to be, uh, it's just going to take longer for that to uh, to turn into either nitrate or into a gas that's going to go up in the air. So, And uh, we worry about nitrate because of leaching. We worry about the gas going up in the air. So those are our concerns with the loss. So ammonium's better or stabilized nitrogen is better. And then on the sulfur side, it's sulfate. Okay. All right. Uh, one more sure. moderately quick question for soybeans. Yep. Watched your program on what you recommended and then wrote it down and we misplaced the paper. <laughs> okay. So we were trying to we were trying to remember what it was and we didn't have your that program but we came up with something close i want to run that by sure you go ahead can, go ahead you think? uh 42 ounces of thundermaster okay that would be for your broad seeded yeah uh, so large seeded broadly yeah so that'd be like uh, a generic version of extreme which is pursuit and roundup if i remember right correct yep yep okay and Stalwart, S-T-A-W. Yep, yep, I got it. That's a generic dual. Yep. Yep, okay. And six ounces volunteer. Volunteer corn. Buccaneer, Roundup, crop oil, and intense. That's uh, good. Uh, intense. Uh, what? What's intense? Oh, that's just uh, nitrogen to kind of help make the weeds take up the spray better. Sure. Okay. So let me see if I got this straight. So basically you've got the active ingredient that's found in pursuit and, and some roundup with the Thundermaster. Yeah. You're talking uh, active ingredient that's found in dual for a stalwart, a volunteer corn herbicide, some more glyphosate, yeah. crop oil, and yeah. nitrogen. And that's what we're talking? Yep. Okay. Uh, and then the dual, it's the... 
Seaworth, I think it's like Dual, but it does slightly better on broadleafs than Dual. At well, least that's my understanding. Uh, Stalwart C, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not going to do any better than dual. It, okay. it it is dual. The only difference is just if it's safened or if it's unsafened. And the stalwart C, if I remember off the top of my head, is safened. Um, so, okay. yeah, I mean your program there is fine. Uh, it just depends on what weeds you're after. And I got to ask you that right after this break. Hang on for me if you can. Okay. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPhD we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AgPhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. 
We're live in the Morton studio taking your calls and questions today on the show. Right before the break, we're talking to Mark from Wisconsin. And Mark, uh, the most important question is the one that I've got coming up for you. We were talking about your weed control program in soybeans. What's your number one weed problem? Well, there is no number one. Every weed is a problem. All right, Brian, this is exactly oh, wait, your wait, example no, where you say, "No, no, no I, I got hey, all of them." Yeah, no, we're we're going to probe just a little bit more. So, what I mean, okay, okay. What, well, I'll what are your top you three left. then? Okay. Let's put it that way. Okay, water hemp. I figured. Dandelion and giant ragweed. Okay. Just writing that down: water hemp, dandelion, giant rag. All right, so here's my question. How are you going to control your water hemp? What in your herbicide program am I missing? Did you already, well, let me ask you, did you put a pre down or not? No, uh, I guess dual has, I think, pretty decent activity on. Uh, it's got a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not much, but it's hemp, got, yeah, it's it's got some, but it's that's, that's not much. Uh, and Pursuit okay. won't kill it, Roundup won't kill it. And so that's, that was kind of what I figured is number one was going to be water hemp for you. So that's my concern with your program is you have nothing in there that's going to kill water hemp very well. And yes, dual will suppress it, but I I mean, you're still going to have 30% of the water hemp left and I don't think that's going to make you very happy. Um, so uh, what, what trait is this? What, what soybean trait conventional or is it enlist or extend? Uh, We're starting... We have some enlist, some extend, but for the most part, we're doing Roundup. The extends, we feel anyways, in our maturity range, that there's a little bit of a yield drag, so we're just kind of okay. looking into some of the other traits. Sure. Uh, mostly the Roundup. Yeah, okay. So my concern here is the water hemp. I mean, now, okay. am I, I, I'm a little worried about the giant ragweed too, but there are products that will kill giant ragweed. Uh, dandelion basically just comes back to how much Roundup are you willing to apply? The higher the rate of Roundup you go, the better shot you're going to have at dandelion. So my number one problem with, uh, my number one problem that I'm worried about here is water hemp. And I will just tell you on your straight Roundup soybeans, I view those as conventional soybeans. So if that was my ground, okay. uh, in the future, I would put down, we, we talk about the three pre's all the time, a yellow Metribuzin and a PPO, which is either Valor or Authority. You do that and 99% of your water hemp are gone. In your case now, we, I mean, we, we can't look back. So now we got to go, all right, well, how am I? I haven't sprayed yet. Sure. But, I, but these beans are up, right? Uh, not necessarily. Some of them are, some of them aren't. We just finished planting and okay. now we're spraying gotcha. as fast as humanly possible. <laughs> when, when the weather allows. Yep, I got you. Okay, so let's put it this yeah. way. That would be my first priority is if I can still get out there before the beans emerge, I would, now you can't, because you're north of I-80, you can't put out a, a yellow after you've planted, but you could still do Metribuzin and either Valor or Authority. So I would absolutely get that on those fields because that will help you a ton on your water hemp and your giant ragweed, and you'll even get a little suppression on your dandelion. 
So that's the first thing I would do. And then the second thing I would do is I would take a look at instead of dual. And I mean, if you already have the stuff bought, you can certainly use dual, but warrant would be better um, in terms of controlling water hemp. You'll get probably 10% better control out of warrant than you would out of dual. But if you want to use dual, that's fine. But either way, I would have Flexstar with it. Uh, in my opinion, you got to have Flexstar out there. That's going to give you activity on both the giant ragweed and the water hemp, and it costs like $4 an acre. So you can get combinations. Okay. So you could get Warrant Ultra, for example. You could also buy Anthem Max if you can find some. Uh, Anthem Max is Zidua plus Cadet, and either way, you're going to be in good shape. But yeah, if it was me, I would probably buy Warrant Ultra. That's Warrant plus Flexstar. But if you just want to stick with your generic dual, at least just throw some Flexstar in there. And then okay. that, that, that's the way to go on that. And then later on, if you still have water hemp and giant ragweed, you could always come back with Cobra um, in the straight roundup fields. Now, when you're in list and your extend fields, I'm not that worried about it. You can run with just about any program you want as long as you get enlist out there at some point or you get dicamba out okay. there at some point and you are going to wipe out water hemp, dandelion, giant ragweed, no problem. Okay. So, um, knock on wood, and I'll say this and then will have resistance. So far, we've rotated chemistries enough that we have not had any resistance okay. it, in it, the water hemp, if that yep. matters. It matters a lot, uh, but I wouldn't count on that. And that's why, you know, if Roundup is still working for you, then that's fantastic and you can just go spray your Roundup. But I just know that 99% of okay. the time anymore, there are some plants out there that are resistant. And with water hemp, because each plant can put on a million seeds, we really worry that the populations can ramp up super fast. So last year, if you literally had okay. three plants in a field that went to seed, that's three million seeds. And even if only 10% of them germinate, that's 300,000 water hemp plants out there that are now resistant. And that's our concern. So... Anyway, okay. uh, Mark, if you if you need more help, let us know. But uh, we got to run. We got a few other callers. We got to get to here. Thanks for the call today. Okay. Appreciate Thanks, it, Brian. Yep. You bet. Bye bye. Let's get back to the phone lines. We got Zane on with us right now in Wisconsin. Zane, how are you doing today? Oh, not too bad at all. So, I got a question on those Mega Grow products. Okay. Um, I don't know much about them. What stages? How many different? products is there out there in the market about what stages you put them on at and stuff like that i'm looking uh i got some acreage close to the buildings there i want to get as many tons as i can to the acre for corn silage oh i get you okay uh what stage of growth are you at right now for the corn i uh, just uh somewhat in the ground last week and i hope it's coming weekend weather depending to finish planting it <laughs> okay. Well, what we're what we're doing on our so you're talking about PGRs here and what we're talking about for silage on our farm is Rise Up Smart Grass that has gibberellic acid in it early. So early season we like that when we're uh, out there. I I would say somewhere in the two leaf to four leaf, something like that stage. But I would time some guys will do it a little higher. But ideally, you get out there when you're still getting cool weather. So if the daytime highs are not not super hot yet, night times are still kind of cool. Gibberellic acid is something the plant naturally produces, but not in large enough quantities. It doesn't move it up through the plant well at this stage, and you get more height out of your corn, which is proven to give you a little bit more tonnage. 
can that be mixed with any kind of herbicide or not really or go, just go out there all by itself? So Rise Up could go with Roundup, but otherwise that's about it. You definitely cannot put it with a plant plant growth regulator herbicide like dicamba. And for that matter, even when you put it with an HPPD, it's not the best. So yeah, you're asking about Megagrow and Megagrow is an, a, another PGR. That's what we use with Roundup all the time. That's actually a patented safener for Roundup. And it's got two oh, different two different growth hormones in there. So typically what we would do is we're either going to spray Roundup plus Megagrow uh, 10 days before or 10 days after we would do this Rise Up Smart Grass. So we're literally doing this as we speak on our farm right now. We're spraying, we're, we're out there spraying the herbicide first with Roundup and Megagrow. So, uh, and what we're using for herbicide, it's uh, some generic dual and atrazine and uh, Callisto. Uh, actually, it's a name brand stuff, but uh, but anyway, we're using yeah. all that right now, and then we're going to come back in about ten days with the Rise Up Smart Grass. The Rise Up will make your plants grow taller, and you will end up with more tonnage. So, yeah, two different things, two different kind of plant growth hormones, but yeah, they're both really important. The Rise Up is definitely more important. I would make sure you have that out there. That only costs about five bucks. Uh, the Mega Grow costs about four bucks. Uh, so we actually use both on all our silage corn. Okay. That sounds real good. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. You bet. Thank you. Listening to Ag PhD Radio today, we're getting a crop progress and planting update from across North America. We would love to hear from you, or if you have an agronomic question, we'd love to tackle that as well. We've got uh, callers been hanging on there for quite a while from Georgia. We're going to get to coming up next. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, 
and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Well, the good thing about being on hold when you call into Ag PhD Radio is you get to listen to the show along the way. So we've got Caleb on with us right now in Georgia. Caleb, you've got about half the show here, it seems like. <laughs> and that's not a problem. I'm just sitting out here watching an irrigation system finish up so I can cut it off. So There you go. All right. So talk to us about your crop. How are things looking out in Georgia? Well, we are hot and dry. I heard about all the people who like dry weather, so uh, we've got plenty of it down here in Georgia to spare. <laughs> it's uh, going to be getting up into the mid to upper 90s this week. And we haven't had a good rain in about two weeks. And on a CEC soil of two, that's not very good. No, no, things run out pretty quick. <laughs> it, you know, when you think about all the different crops that are down there, what which crops are, are looking good right now? Obviously, the irrigated crops looking good. Everything else maybe not so. But are there any crops standing out this year that you say, man, it's going to be a good harvest for this crop or that one? Well, right now the corn looks really good, uh, despite being cold to start off the season. The temperatures, of course, have, have really warmed up. And as long as we can keep the water on the corn, it's been looking pretty good. With the hot weather and especially the low humidities that we've been having, it seems that we can't put out enough water. So we've been just keeping the pumps going on the irrigation and just hope we can get some relief at the end of the week here they got a little rain chance for us but on our peanut ground we're trying to finish up planting peanuts but i was out in one field and we can go down about three or four inches and we don't find any moisture so we're having to make some tough decisions out there to know exactly what what we should do all right so talk to us as a first generation farmer when you get into some of those tight spots who do you turn to on that stuff and then also uh, what what are you thinking with this year and commodity prices high? Obviously, we hear from a lot of farmers and how it's impacting their operations for, for a younger guy that's just getting started. Uh, what, what difference does that make for you? Well, if we can get a crop to harvest, uh, it'll be the highest, uh, highest commodity prices that I have seen since I started. But uh, this guy getting there... Um, but yeah, everything's looking looking pretty good and and it'll be interesting to see how things play out. 
Yeah, yeah, it sure will. Well, hopefully you guys catch some natural rain too, so you don't have to spend all your money on, on irrigation water. But in the meantime, I'm thankful that you have some irrigation to keep her going. Caleb, thanks so much. Really appreciate talking to you. Good luck here the rest of the season. Appreciate it, guys. Let's head out to Central South Dakota. We've got Brian with us right now. Brian, how's it going? Hey, guys, doing good. All right, so you've had some years with big rains out there. What is this year bringing for you? Not so much. Um, we had a great year last year until mid-August and then shut off, and we we really didn't get much for snow either. So our subsoil is pretty well depleted. Uh, we just picked up just short of a half inch last night in that thunderstorm that went through, which was uh, <clears throat> greatly appreciated. You bet. But uh, surprisingly, crops look pretty good. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I was wondering how much subsoil moisture was left. I know you're doing everything you can to, to conserve stuff. And this is one of the things that for our listeners out there where Brian Farms, it normally doesn't rain. It's normally awfully hot. And so he's one of the guys that is doing everything he can to conserve moisture, conserve the soil, and, and be just a good steward of the land overall. So I would imagine that, that those practices have certainly helped a lot. Like you say, it's still looking good, even though you really haven't had much for rain. Yeah, right. So we, we do all no-till and we do cover crops as well, which, you know, counter, you know, sometimes cover crops can hurt you uh, when you're dry because they can pull excess moisture out. But if you compare those cover crop fields to those that didn't have covers on them, there really isn't, uh, it's, you know, not a lot of difference in the subsoil. So, um, but the, the amount of residue that's left on that surface really helps us to catch the rain and hold the rain and keep it from evaporating. So that in itself is a huge benefit for us. All right. What kind of year has this been for cattle? Has there been decent growth out on pastures? Yeah, on the pastures are a little short. Of course, you know, we were cold in May, um, a lot of frost and freezes up until the last part of May. So Grasses are going to be shorter this year, as is the wheat, uh, any of the cereal grains, even the alfalfas are going to be shorter, but much more nutrient dense. So, you know, it doesn't take as much to get the same net effect. So all in all, our cows are just going out on grass. So everything looks pretty, pretty good right now. Excellent. Yeah, that's a that's a good point there that you don't necessarily need tall if you can pack nutrition in there. Uh, do, you t- do you test pasture grass or how do you determine what that's like? No, we really don't. I mean, most of our native pastures obviously are native grasses. Uh, we really don't check for nutrient density. We just kind of know on shorter years you're going to have more nutrient density. Gotcha. Um, and on longer, taller years, of course, you can you have more carrying capacity. So it's it's kind of a correlation there. So, uh, but we do do a lot of uh, crop grazing now too. So we'll do short term cover crops and then we'll do late season cover crops for grazing. And so um, really the cattle will tell you, we, we move them a lot and they will tell you when they're ready to move. So we move early season, we're moving in pastures every four or five days. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And I know the, what what you're doing there, paying attention to things, like you say, using using the uh, livestock and the crops, and, and you've got a good circle of, of what's happening there and paying attention to right. each of those things. It is a challenge. A lot of times you talk to cattle cattlemen, and they may not really have much of a passion for the farm, but where you're at, you kind of have to have a passion for it all to make it work. Right, exactly. And we are messing with the, with, with the uh, virtual fencing, too. My son Nicholas has been... Um, working with a company called Vents, and that's been a real interesting 
experiment for us. And that, that's going to open up a ton of opportunities for grazing if we can get the technology to work really well. Yeah, I love it. Technology, even with grazing cattle in pastures, it's it's a pretty fun time to be farming for sure. Uh, Brian, thank you so much. Indeed. Really appreciate having you on here. Hopefully you guys catch a bunch of rain. I was thinking you got a little more than a half an inch. I was I was expecting you to say you had an inch or more and, and be super pumped today, but I guess we'll be thankful for what we get along the way. We will, and the pump has been primed, so we're good. Sounds good. Well, Brian, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hey, Brian, we had a couple of questions come in, and here's one that came from Amsterdam, and it's from a university student named Saeed who said, we're, we're working on a master's program here, and we've got a team that's conducting research in a school garden in Amsterdam. The garden's being used for the pupils to grow plants and promote sustainability. However, the school has a problem with water. They're using tap water to irrigate the garden, and they're irrigating it three or four times a year. We're looking at the soil test and trying to figure out what we could do if it's compost or something else or drought-resistant plants or even collecting rainwater. Just looking for any suggestions you guys may have about what we could do that would be affordable and help this soil and help it hold moisture longer. Wait, wait, wait. Um, with affordable, I thought this was tiny acreage. Well, it is. I, I mean, if, well, then you, everything's if you affordable. say drill a well. This is what I, I yeah, but I know, but well, go ahead. Well, they're just looking for something because they want to teach people how to do sustainable gardens. So when you're looking at the soil test, I guess a couple of things. One, one thing, first thing I'd say, Saeed, I, I really like your soil test. It's complete. It's got a lot of nutrients on there. There's base saturation and soil pH and lots of good things here that we look at. It looks to me like we're a little short, especially in phosphorus. Uh, it, the phosphate number was, was a little low. It looked like the uh, base saturation were pretty high in calcium, and we don't have as much magnesium as we'd normally like to have. Right. And so, you know, I, I would say this. We talk a lot about base saturation, which is basically the balance of nutrients. So when you hear us say the words, for any of our listeners, if you hear us say the words base saturation test, all we're, all we're talking about, all that means is we just want to see a balance of nutrients. And when we look at the base saturation test, we're typically talking about calcium, magnesium, potassium, sodium, and hydrogen. You get the balance of those five nutrients, that's a good start. Now, there are other nutrient balance things we talk about, like phosphorus to zinc and phosphorus to copper, for example. But the base saturation test gives us the main things. And yeah, that's the number one thing I would say we see is uh, really high calcium levels. Uh, so that since you're not going to lower the calcium, that means you got to raise the magnesium and maybe raise potassium. And, and the things magnesium like that. would tighten up that soil a little bit and get it to hold more water. So that looks like, from a nutrition standpoint, something that would really help. And then what I was getting at with the phosphorus a little bit too is if that plant has any plant that you grow has a good balance of nutrition, then it takes in less moisture because when it's pulling in moisture, it's trying to pull in its plant food at the same time. So it's going to keep drinking in moisture if it's short of food. So yeah, fix that magnesium, get some potassium, or I'm sorry, get some phosphorus out there as well, and you should be well on your way. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.